Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Unleashed. Today, we're talking about election integrity. The 2022 election should have been about solutions to the difficult issues that the people of Colorado face at their kitchen tables every day, like rising gas prices, unbearable inflation, soaring crime, and our children who are suffering right now. Well, obviously it wasn't. Things are declining rapidly here in Colorado, and voters check the box for the party that's responsible. We talked about some of the reasons why in the first episode, but I want to explore this even further, especially around election integrity and voting. From day one, the biased media didn't really ask substantive questions about the many failures of Joe Biden and Jared Polis on these issues. Rather, they continuously asked questions meant to divide and distract us. The Democrat-funded media in Colorado had a job to do, to drive Democrat outrage over Trump, abortion, and climate change, to tie it all to us conservative candidates and drive election distrust in Republican voters so that they wouldn't bother to vote. 70-ish percent of Republicans in Colorado voted. We can't win here with numbers like that. That's terrible. Polis and the Democrats know that. That's exactly what they wanted to happen. Many Coloradans on both sides of the political aisle expressed concerns on the campaign trail regarding the integrity and security of our elections, whether it was Trump beating Hillary in 2016 or Biden beating Trump in 2020. These concerns didn't come out of thin air like the media wanted the general public to believe. They were and are legitimate concerns over a number of election issues, like the mainstream liberal media, ignoring key stories that made their candidate look bad. Hello, Tabor refunds. Big tech playing favorites and controlling what political reporting we saw online or which ads got to run. Or a liberal Facebook billionaire spending hundreds of millions of dollars, zuck bucks, to infiltrate county election offices so that they could push data sharing agreements, voting methods, and outreach efforts in heavily Democrat areas. Or how about the judicial system allowing Democratic operatives to use COVID as an excuse to make massive last-minute changes to voting laws in various key states that were not prepared to handle mail-in balloting? Where was the elitist corporate media when Al Gore, Hillary Clinton, and Stacey Abrams each repeatedly claimed that their elections were stolen? I don't seem to remember them questioning concerns then. Funny, isn't it? So now I get asked, do you think the Colorado elections were fair in 2022? Well, here's my answer. It depends on what you mean by fair. Was it fair that Polis invested $3 million into helping my Republican opponent, Greg Lopez, in the primary? Was it fair that Polis and the Democrats spent $33 million or more in the governor's race without accurately reporting it to get around campaign finance laws and keep it hush-hush from the public? Was it fair that the tens of millions of dollars of ads they ran and the flyers that they sent blatantly lied to voters about us candidates? Lying, playing dirty politics, and manipulating the media, it's not necessarily fair, but as my mother always told me, life isn't fair, is it? And don't get me wrong. I knew what I was getting myself into. I was just a bit too Pollyannish that Coloradans wouldn't be so easy to hoodwink, especially with how badly our state has declined under Polis. Let's talk numbers for a minute. We have 4.4 million voters registered in Colorado, but only 2.5 million, a little over 50%, voted in the governor's race. About 2 million people in Colorado did not fill out the bubbles on a ballot that the Democrats made sure plopped right into your mailbox. So indeed, Republican turnout was dismal because our voters don't think the elections are fair. They didn't think their vote would count, so why show up? It doesn't help when our Secretary of State, our slimy Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, sent 
30,000 illegal immigrants ballot reminders. And also when she took the power away from county clerks when she changed the rules recently to put the power back in her office. Or when she shuts down inquiries that could help us trust the process again, like she's trying to do right now. Kurt Huffman, who ran for re-election in the state house, and I had our own election integrity battle with Jenna here in Douglas County after the election. He and I tried to do a hand recount in the House district he ran in, which he lost despite it being a Republican plus 10 district in red Douglas County. And as for my race, Douglas County, my home county, was way closer than it should have been. Kurt ran a good race, and the numbers, they just didn't make sense as every Republican around him won. We asked for a recount since the margin was very slim. And we wanted a very specific logic and accuracy testing done, which is our right to ask for, and the canvassing board members' right to ask for as well. Jenna Griswold managed to convince our Republican county clerk to shut it down just as it was about to start. Then the said clerk came back at us with a $212,000 bill for us to even take a peek at the ballots through the Freedom of Information Act through a court request. Well, how's that for instilling confidence in our elections? If everything's so peachy keen with our elections here in Colorado, why would she stop an honest attempt to instill confidence among voters here? And why would the Republican county clerk agree to that? Why hide the ballots? Well, the bottom line is this. Perception is reality when it comes to election integrity. And the perception among a lot of voters is that something stinks to hive heaven. In a recent survey, only 46% of Republicans say they trust the American election system. Republicans were five times as likely as Democrats to say that the 2022 midterms had significant fraud. The results suggest that voter mistrust is really focused on voting by mail. About 51% of Republicans and 35% of independent voters, they feel that ineligible voters are turning in ballots and that some voters are turning in more than one ballot. On the flip side, Democrats are more worried that eligible voters face obstacles to voting, like a voter ID law making it difficult to vote, or voters having to stand in long lines. But Democrats overall right now, they tend to trust the elections. But here's the thing. Even though there's the suggestion that Polis and the Democrats cheat here in Colorado, the reality is they don't have to. Read the book The Blueprint or watch The Rocky Mountain Heist on YouTube. Let's take ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting in Colorado is perfectly legal. Us conservatives in Colorado shouldn't be mad that it happens. We should be mad that our side stinks at doing it. We literally have no apparatus in place here to do it. And we certainly don't have the money. The power players in Colorado would rather waste millions on ballot initiatives that won't pass, which they make big money off of, either way, by the way, the consultants that run the ballot initiatives, than build the ground game and the technology to drive the right voters to turn out. Democrats are more than willing to do the tedious, expensive work to legally identify and harvest ballots to win elections here. They have a month-long election to do so, and they have voter data that pinpoints exactly who they need to pester to turn their ballot in so they get the win. Their job is to call you, email you, knock on your door, offer to take it for you or pick it up. Colorado law allows political operatives to collect and return up to 10 ballots at a time, as if there were any way to enforce such a law, especially with drop boxes all over our state. As election day nears, if polls show that their candidate is still behind, but there aren't enough Democratic voters to harvest the ballots, 
that's when same-day registration comes in. We are one of the few states where you can register and vote on the same day, even on election day. So if a pesky citizen that the Democrats know will vote their way isn't registered, no problem. They can help them do just that up until 7 p.m. on election night. That is, assuming that their politicized nonprofits haven't already registered the voters. It makes you think, are there any groups on our side, on the conservative side, that are effective at voter registration, ballot harvesting, and pushing people to turn in their ballots last minute? See, Colorado sends ballots to everyone in the state, regardless of whether they request them or not. Our clerks don't clean up our voter rolls very often. They aren't required to by law. In fact, Colorado was sued recently by their organization Judicial Watch for being so bad at it. In fact, just last week, Judicial Watch announced that the Colorado Secretary of State agreed to settle a lawsuit alleging that Colorado failed to remove ineligible voters from its voter rolls. Jenna Griswold was the lead of this. The lawsuit alleged that high registration rates and other voter roll metrics indicate that there's an ongoing systemic problem with Colorado's voter list maintenance efforts. As part of the settlement, Colorado will report to Judicial Watch on its yearly progress in cleaning up its rolls for the next six years. But we're the gold standard, right? Not only does our corrupt Secretary of State and Governor say that constantly, but so do many establishment Republicans in Colorado. I was berated often by the old-school Republican pundits and Republican power players for mentioning our voters' concerns on the campaign trail, not to mention the media. I told the naysayers over and over that many voters would not turn in their ballots due to their concerns. Perception is our reality, and that's exactly what happened. So to recap, Polis and the Democrats in Colorado know exactly which voters they have to get to turn out. And our corrupt Secretary of State Griswold gives them a leg up by making sure it's easy peasy to see which one of them has voted every day during our month-long election and which candidate is winning. And remember, they have invested so much time and money in voter data here for decades. I'm talking to you, Jared Polis, that it's not hard to know how you voted or how you will vote. Artificial intelligence is making that so much easier. The cherry on top is their ability to weave distrust in our elections on the Republican side and silence any Republican candidates from talking about it at all levels. So, voila, Republican voters don't even turn their ballots in. In fact, polling before the 2022 midterm showed that 45% of Republicans did not trust the election. A large percentage of registered Republicans in Colorado did not vote last fall. There's your recipe for disaster. But friends... I want to end on some good news. We can play this game too. We can build the infrastructure to level out the playing field. But in order to do so, we need to build an army of dedicated campaign workers and commit to the long game. Is the will there to do that among Republican volunteers, candidates, and donors? That's a very different question. And based on what I saw out there on the front lines, the answer is no, not yet. When it came time for volunteers to show up, door knock, make calls to get ballots turned in. There were many great volunteers, don't get me wrong, but not nearly the numbers that we need. Republicans did a no-show. So did the big political groups that are supposed to do this in Colorado, like Americans for a Prosperity and Advance Colorado, the Colorado GOP at the state level and the county level. We have a very easy app to use for it. We had great messaging. We were putting in the elbow grease to provide everything for volunteers to do so. But we got a no-show from the people that we needed to show up. 
Now, the Democrats know how to do this. They do this incredibly well. But we can, too. We can play the game, folks. It's time to stop whining and to start winning. I've got some great guests next up who can help us do just that. Well, hello, everyone. I'm excited today to welcome Sean Smith, who I've worked with um, over the past few months to make sure that we have free and fair elections. That is his mission now. And he knows a lot about how this works, what doesn't work in our elections. So, Sean, welcome. I'm excited to talk to you and educate our listeners about some of the things that you know. Well, good morning. Thanks for having us. Sean, we worked together on a potential recount uh, down in Douglas County that I talked a little bit about in my monologue um, for Kurt Huffman's race. And you were a watcher in that effort. Can you talk about how that went down and um, what you learned from that process? Well, sure. Uh, What it reminded me of, so I used to live up in Montana and at the start of the winter every year up in Montana, it was like people would forget that roads would ice up and how to drive. And even on the residential streets, which would be you know, like a 20, 25 mile, mile per hour speed limit, you would see these slow motion accidents occur because you could see the people going too fast as they were coming up to the stop sign. You knew the accident was going to occur. They knew the accident was going to occur. There was nothing they could do about it, but it would literally take this period of time. You could just watch. I felt like I could get out of the car, walk over to the sidewalk and stand there and just watch the accident happen because you, you could see it so far in advance. And that's what the, the uh, you know, I don't want to call it a recount. It wasn't a recount according to state law uh, in Douglas County. And and it's not just Douglas County. This is what has happened throughout the state, unfortunately, because of the feckless response of courts and because the secretary of state is not lawful and because the county clerks, for the most part, have been, uh, I would say, sort of propagandized by Colorado County Clerks Association into following whatever direction they get from the Secretary of State as if they are a subordinate, as opposed to elected officers in their own right with obligations under their sworn oaths to the constitutions of Colorado and the United States. And then because the, the boards you know, within the uh, counties are essentially, you know, amateurs for the most part, and they listen to both their party and to the clerk. And so you, in effect, have just one person. And, and I'm not sure it's really even the Secretary of State. It's really, uh, you know, the Deputy Secretary of State, and in particular, her elections director, who's like in D.C., where you have that sort of permanent staff that now people refer to as the deep state, the deep state in Colorado elections is Judge Choate in the Secretary of State's office. So what happened in Douglas County is you had, uh, you know, a challenge, a recount, and uh, there are requirements under the statute for the for the manner in which that recount is conducted. And the reason, and these are not, these are not optional. These are obligatory. They're mandatory because they're in the statute. Right. So for a secretary of state or for any election official in the state not to follow what is in the statute makes the execution of the election or that portion of it unconstitutional because of the U.S. Constitution and the authorities that it gives explicitly to state legislatures to specify time, place and manner of elections. So in failing to follow that statutory prescription, they really have created a constitutional crisis. And the reason they've created that, the reason that that's such a problem is because 
those mechanisms and methods that were in our statute or still in our statute, at least temporarily until the Secretary of State can get the General Assembly to remove those safeguards too, they are a safeguard. So, so for example, in the recount, what was supposed to happen was that the, um, the, the board was supposed to um, choose randomly from among the voting systems that were used during the course of the election, uh, one or more of the tabulators that were used. And then they were supposed to perform a manual count of all the ballots that had been scanned into those tabulators during the course of the election. And then they were supposed to compare their manual count of those ballots, the votes on those ballots for the challenged races or for the recount races or issues. They were supposed to compare those to the count determined by the machines during the election. And only if, only if those counts matched perfectly or if the only discrepancy between them could be explained by human error, like from the manual count, which of course you couldn't just you know, presume, you'd have to verify, only then could they proceed under the law with a machine recount. Instead, what the Secretary of State provided as guidance and what all the, the clerks were told by Colorado County Clerks Association, which is false, they were effectively directed to violate the law by the Colorado County Clerks Association. So there is an issue there of illegality on the part of Colorado County Clerks Association, right? They have directed something that resulted in the violation of voters' rights in Colorado and the violation of state statute. So. So what they did was direct all these clerks that what they should do is a logic inaccuracy test. And as part of that, they did, uh, they ran a test deck through the, co the computerized voting systems. And then if they got the results they expected, which could be programmed in, it didn't even have to match the actual paper ballots that were in the test deck, then they were allowed to proceed with a machine recount. So. So all of that violated the law. That was a violation of the law. And, uh, and it's not the first time that, that citizens have challenged it or candidates have challenged it, and the courts are just not hearing it. The courts, for some reason, are not hearing uh, election-related cases based on the evidence that's available and that, that plaintiffs are prepared to bring forward. They're not allowing discovery. And it's, it's not isolated. This is one among many issues that are happening where safeguards are being violated in Colorado elections. I can give you a couple more examples if you want them. They're widespread and persistent. Yeah, Sean, I mean, the watching that go down, you're right. It was exactly as you said. I could tell things were the dominoes were going to fall. And um, I was just shocked at how even the folks in our own party, the county clerk, the county um, commissioners, the county attorney, um, didn't pull through. They didn't want to provide transparency. They didn't want to let this recount happen or the testing happen the way um, the canvassing board requested it. And what I learned was how important canvassing board members are. They are supposed to run these processes and they were not allowed to in this case. Is that accurate? That's exactly correct. Yeah, They, they followed their directions and their directions were wrong. Yeah. And, and the county, as for county attorneys, I've, I don't know what the deal is with them. I had no experience with any of them prior to dealing with uh, elections, getting involved in election integrity. I, I don't know what the criteria are for hiring a county attorney. I presume it's having a law license of some kind. 
But as far as I can tell, they don't do anything but advise the county uh, officials to do exactly what the state tells them to do at all times. It's like the Mesa County attorney. I, I don't know what they do. I'm not sure why they get paid. Uh, I mean, maybe they go to lunches and nod at people. I don't, I just can't understand because they're not defending the mm -hmm. county's interests or the board's or the clerk's uh, rights and authorities under the law. They're not defending the interests of the people of their county. They, they should have been, they should have been sued. Same thing with the district attorneys. I don't understand why the district attorneys have not at this point, especially because we've sent them sworn affidavits citing evidence that allege uh, violations of election law, which are crimes that they're obligated under Colorado statute to investigate forthwith. It literally says forthwith. It's not happening. They're, they're not doing their sworn duties. So uh, across the board, the people are betrayed. I'm not sure that the county supervisors or the commissioners have uh, you know, much support in any county. Well, and that was something that shocked me too, was, you know, I, li I live in Douglas County. This occurred in Douglas County. We have three, um, you know, conservative county commissioners. We had a county, uh, a, a clerk who was conservative. Um, I don't know what the county attorney is. I don't know if they have to say, but um, we alerted the county commissioners. Nobody like held anybody accountable in this whole thing. And it was just, um, it was lack of transparency. It was lack of respect for the canvassing board members who wanted it done a certain way. It was lack of respect for the candidate when they kicked his attorney out of the room and wouldn't let her be there to watch what was happening. Um, they told you guys you couldn't talk, right? And took your phones away. Yeah, they did. I don't remember if they took our phones away, but they did tell us we couldn't talk. So, yeah, which we did. We ended up talking anyway. In fact, and they they talked to us also. So, it was, you know, you can talk if it's OK with us, but you can't talk. If it's not. I mean, it's, it's absurd. The whole premise of that is that you're not allowed to disturb the proceedings. But the proceedings were happening on the other side of the glass in Douglas County, which is another issue. You know, when you're that far away, you can't really see everything they're doing. They provide you a screen. But the screen is a screen that is uh, whatever image or, or view is being produced literally by the same computerized voting system that the whole process is supposed to be providing a safeguard against inaccuracy or compromising. So, you know, you, you're only allowed as the watcher to observe what the computerized voting system is showing them and you. You're not seeing the ballots themselves. You're not seeing the totality of the ballots. You're not you're not being given the opportunity to see what they're counting, what they're not counting. The, the whole thing is a sham from start to finish. And it's the, it's this kind of sort of false pretense that voters and citizens are being asked to accept to reinforce a belief that they have trustworthy elections. Well, none of it is trustworthy, right? The transparency is trustworthy. They don't have it. They're not following the law. They're not transparent. The officials who should know what to do don't know what to do. I, you know, I remember we had discussions with Clerk Klotz, you know, about uh, asking him to follow what the statute actually said, um, you know, because the clerks, and this is another problem, in every case, the canvassing board sort of has a, a deciding member, right? The odd person, they either have three, uh, I, think, I think maybe they can have five in some cases, I have to go back and review the statute, but the clerk is one of the canvassing board members. Well, if the clerk is someone who's been elected by uh, the same mechanisms 
that we are now questioning the truth of and the integrity of, then, then what safeguards do we have? Because you have to convince the other two who are from opposing parties, which is another issue with having, you know, so much, the parties have so much say in our elections, right? They should be an interested party. They shouldn't be in control of anything in a, in a public election. Primaries are different. They can do whatever they want in primaries. That's a partisan issue. But the general elections and uh, coordinated elections are should not be in the control of effectively a private corporation, which is what the parties are. You know, I think the clerks and the county commissioners and the canvassing boards have have gotten the message loud and clear from what's been done to Clerk Peters in in Mesa, where they went after her with, you know, Clerk Schroeder. In uh, and now his successor as the as the county clerk there, Rhonda Braun. You know the Secretary of State is still imposing supervision at county cost on that county, even though the first report from the first supervisor that she sent down there, the observer, the first report said they couldn't really find anything that they were doing wrong. So basically, they're running they're running their elections perfectly according to the Secretary of State's. Uh, rules and the state laws in Elbert County, but she still is imposing these costs on them as a punitive measure. And so the clerks and, and all that cost is coming out of that county, right? The, the clerk there tried to go to court to preserve the election records that he'd made a copy of. The Secretary of State alleged that he had, you know, breached security. Has he been charged with anything? No, because it, he perfectly followed the rules and the law. In fact, she then had to change her rules to try to create a rule that he would have violated had that rule existed. That that happened, and so all the I think all the election officials in the state have gotten the message. You know, if you're somebody like Bo Ortiz in Pueblo and you completely, completely fumble. I mean, it was like it was like the what was it Stanford Cal game where the they, the team scored on themselves. The Pueblo County election was like it was a train wreck. And and there was no censure from Colorado County Clerks Association who stood up on the podium or the dais next to Griswold while she was making unfounded allegations against Peters and against and also against Schroeder. They said nothing about Bortiz. Well, he was one of their officers, right? He was one ah. of their elected officers. What are they going to say? He's the same guy on a on a, a Zoom call that they didn't think they didn't know we were on. He was telling me that he's got 15 years of experience I, I, in I'm, corruption. You know, <laughs> yeah. Now you know what that's worth. So, well, anyway. luckily he's not in office anymore. Thank goodness. Um, so maybe Pueblo will uh, clean up their act. But um, Sean, one of the things that um, I think we've got to do is make it okay for people to talk about their mistrust in the election and the systems and the processes and how transparency and sunshine is the only thing that's going to restore that. And that's why Kurt and I talked about doing this in Douglas County, because the numbers were really wonky in this district. And really, I Kurt lost in an R plus 10 district. And I only won Douglas County by point. That's my home county. It's a conservative county. It was just weird. And so we were like, you know, let's restore some confidence. Let's make sure that we um, send a signal to people that things were done correctly. You know, we've got a friendly clerk. We've got a canvassing board that supports doing this. And then we go in and it just goes to heck in a handbasket. And we're like, well, this did the exact opposite. It inspired no confidence in our election process, especially when our own Republican Party commissioners and clerk 
drop the ball and they don't follow up with the attorney. They hire the attorney. The county commissioners hire the attorney. They are their boss. And they had the ability to tell the attorney to do what was right and didn't. So the ball was dropped on all fronts. And, um, you know, I just if that can happen in Douglas County for conservatives and, and a lot of Republicans did not show up to vote in 22 because they didn't trust the elections, it's just going to get worse. All right. So so this is the problem with the with the lack of safeguards the sort of proposed or purported safeguards. So with Judicial Watch just settled their lawsuit with the secretary of state. Uh, they didn't admit you know, the Secretary of State didn't admit there was a problem, but if there was no problem, they wouldn't have settled anything. They would have just won, recovered all the fees. We have the canvassing data that shows that there is significant error, conservatively 8% across the state. It's worse in some counties, better in others, in the voter rolls and voter history. And we're really just scratching the surface. I mean, that was just going door to door. A lot of people, you know, aren't giving you all the information. We had hundreds of affidavits and it was a, it was a designed survey so that we could go randomly to precincts within uh, counties that we were sampling and then apply the results that we got across those counties and across the state. It was intended to be able to extrapolate across the state. And that's and because of that, it had a validity in its design that afforded that. And so we're very confident that there's significant inaccuracy in the voter rolls. And why wouldn't there be? Right? The Secretary of State had in 2015 it wasn't under Secretary of State Griswold. I think 2015 was Wayne Williams. Um, Secretary of State, the legislative auditor, did a report on uh, sort of cybersecurity uh, of uh, SCORE, statewide Colorado registration system. And, um, and the, there were findings in the report that were significant enough that they didn't release the report publicly. Mm. It was provided under separate cover. We don't know who's seen it, but the public was never told. Well, if you have a, a database like that with all this critical, vital voter information in it and you have security vulnerabilities, you have to know if they were actually compromised. Mm -hmm. And then you have to look at the database to see if you still have integrity or if the database has been altered or their backdoors. They never did any of that because they're incompetent and they have this a patina of, you know, of expertise that they, that they polish all the time, but they are incompetent. They don't know what they're doing or worse, I mean, that's a charitable interpretation, but looking at like when they claim to have two-factor authentication access to score, it's not two-factor authentication. This is a basic of cyber hygiene and cyber security practices. This is like housekeeping. They didn't even get that part right. 2020, they had a, an external contractor that uh, Trevor Timmons uh, brought in. He's like the uh, chief information officer or chief information security officer for the secretary of state to do an assessment of their election related systems. The public never heard anything about that assessment or the results of it, but Synac, that company, they uh, bragged about finding seven vulnerabilities in Colorado's election related systems in a white paper that they posted on the, on the website of the national association of secretaries of state. So it's like, because they pay to be part to be a, a partner of the National Association of Secretaries of State, they're allowed to post these white papers for those members, but they made a mistake and left it public. So we read it, found out that there were these seven vulnerabilities discovered. Nobody in the state government or the Secretary of State, nobody ever told the public or public officials about those vulnerabilities or any subsequent follow-on 
investigation or audit to determine whether the vulnerabilities were exercised and compromised and, and whether the data was secure. Well, we know, we know that the systems are using old vulnerable technology. I've looked at the technology that went into it. I think I stopped counting at about 3000 known vulnerabilities for the equipment and software that they use for score. And the people that are that are supposed to be securing it just don't have the capability. You know, they're not even, they're not even 24 hours a day. The system's connected to the internet 24 hours a day, and the people who are supposed to protect it are not working 24 hours a day. I don't need to know anything else to know it's been compromised. That's you know, and they and I doubt they would even know. So then you have the drop boxes and the mail-in ballots. There's hundreds of thousands of hours of video. Nobody ever reviews it to make sure even that basic law is being followed, like that, that nobody's dropping off more than 10 ballots or making, you know, 10 trips of five ballots or 100 trips of five ballots. We've got, we've got you know, reports of, of ballots being run through nonprofits and things like that in Denver. Nobody will investigate them. We, we, have, a, we have an extraordinarily untrustworthy election system. What, um, you know, Florida put in place some uh, changes to their election laws. Has that helped things or do you see a difference once legislation is passed? Uh, it's debatable. So they still are using machines. They still don't have good control over the voter registration. So sometimes it's window dressing so that, you know, legislators or public officials can claim victory. And it's kind of like the old tough on crime things, right? Like you would, you would do something and then claim to be tough on crime. Well, how's that working out, right? All you have to do is look at the crime rates. So, um, you know, there's one very effective way to verify whether your voter rolls are accurate, and that's canvassing. Uh, that's a safeguard after the fact for the most part, right? You, you, it's very difficult to exercise that because these are electronic uh, databases and they're centralized. So they're accessible from a lot of places, typically connected to the internet. And, and I'm not, I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but a lot of times the tech and the IT people who are working for state and county governments are not the top in their field, right? If they were the top in their field, unless they just have a servant's heart, which is possible in some places, the chances are they're going to be working either in private industry for, you know, very high money, or they're going to be working in uh, intelligence community or Department of Defense where they get a chance to do legally things that are really fun that you're not allowed to do in private companies, right? So if you, if it, if you appreciate being able to take it to the enemy, which I, you know, I did that for a living for quite a while. And I, I had in my, in my heart, ill intent for our enemies. And I got to exercise that in my duties. That's, you know, there's nowhere else you want to be. I didn't want, I didn't want to go do commercial space work. And, and so if, if they have IT and cyber people who are of that caliber, they're probably not going to be working for the states and counties. So they can't secure their systems. And if you can't secure a computerized system, you really have no idea what's in it. So pretending that their voter rolls are accurate um, is really, I mean, it's a, it's a fatal flaw in the system right from the beginning. So um, I think no state has really, has really implemented um, effective statutory protections for the electoral franchise. What they've done is try to put the cow back in the barn a little bit with all the electronic systems. And, and that's why it's the same, because there's no putting the cow back in the barn. Yeah. Cow, you, 
you kind of have to start over. And that's what we recommend. And nobody wants to do it because it's a lot of work, right? No public officials want to do this. But what we would recommend is that is that we have county held roles or, you know, parish in places like Louisiana or borough and places like Pennsylvania. You have locally held roles. They give read-only copies up to the higher levels of government for them to compare and coordinate within counties or jurisdictions and then across states, but that you reestablish that role with in-person photo ID to make sure that all the people on your role are really people and they really live within your jurisdiction. Until we do that, we're just kidding ourselves about election integrity. Well, and that's that was my takeaway from the conversations that I've had as a candidate and running after the election or talking after the election was it's all about putting it back to the local officials and making sure that they're doing the right things. Um, and so I think in Colorado, if you have a county where you know, um, you know, the county commissioners, the county clerk, the canvassing board members, the sheriff, the DA, like get them all on the same page about how to restore trust in our elections again and do it little by county by county, do it where we can and um, start there so that we can rebuild trust and make sure that uh, people feel good about voting again. I, is that what your request or your uh, suggestion is? That's part of it. So there, there's a lot more that has to be done. So there are organizations that claim to be taking up the mantle of election integrity at a national level. And they're not really doing what they ought to be doing. So, for example, uh, with the Judicial Watch lawsuit, the remedy they sought in that lawsuit against the Secretary of State for her obviously corrupted, you know, inaccurate voter rolls, the remedy they sought was for her to clean up their voter rolls. That's not the right remedy. The right remedy is a thorough audit of the voter roll and the voter roll system. Mm -hmm. So that you can see if it's accurate, which it's not, we already know that, and why it's not accurate, and whether it can be maintained accurate and secure, which they will find it is not, right? It's not capable. They cannot do it. They haven't done it. And this leads to other issues. So, so the Secretary of State in Colorado has been certifying year after year after year that, in fact, that statewide registration system is accurate and secure. And the reason that they've been doing that, for example, Secretary of State has to do it every year is because that's how they get the half of funds. So that's a false certification and that is a legal pursuit, right? There is a legal cause to be made there that there has been a false representation of the status of those voter rolls and that has resulted in awarding or granting of federal funds that it should not have. So that's a case that needs to be taken up by, because it's not just one state, this is a multi-state. And in fact, if they're aware that their voter rolls are you know, not accurate, and they ought to be if they're even remotely competent, <laughs> you know, if they care, then, then they've been falsely, deliberately falsely certifying. And now that's a whole other issue, but, but certainly somebody should be going after clawing back those federal funds that were provided on the basis of those false certifications. There's no mechanism, and this is another flaw in the Help America Vote Act. So the states are required to maintain their systems secure and accurate, but there's no verification mechanism. There's no standards, there's no enforcement, there's no investigation whatsoever. So you find these massive inaccuracies, like the, the Judicial Watch settlement in Colorado should have triggered FBI Civil Rights Division and the Election Assistance Commission to say, we need to look at your roles because you've been claiming to us and we've been giving you these federal funds on good faith. 
that you've secured and made your system accurate. And here you are effectively consenting that you had some problem in your voter rolls in this judicial watch lawsuit. Show us your books. Nobody's done that. Nobody's ever done that because it's not in those officials' interest. You know, the, the people who are in power right now in those organizations don't want to admit that there are these problems. So, so in all cases, citizens are going to find that there is no citizenship happening on their couch. Right. So if they if they uh, don't like what's happening and if they want to restore the authority and sovereignty of their citizenship, they have to take action. So they have to. We've got local groups all over the country in Colorado, in many counties. There are people still doing this work. They're doing public information requests. They're doing pro state lawsuits. They're you know uh, going and meeting with their county commissioners. That's what happened in Rio Blanco. You know, candidates are challenging where they should to use those authorities that they have under the law. Some of our are bringing lawsuits and trying to to fight back when they're denied their um, you know rights under the law. Uh, so that just has to continue and accelerate, and it just has to be people instead of giving up. People need to be outraged. I think that they're being treated in this manner by public officials, some of whom I think are very well intentioned and are in. They're just there. It's like when you talk about your kids, like they get in with the wrong crowd. Well, Colorado County Clerks Association and the Colorado Department of State are the wrong crowd. So you listen to these people and you will be misinformed in, you know, true Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain fashion. You know, you will be misinformed about what's true and they need to start listening to their citizens because that's the that's the source of all the authority for government. And, and any government official that acts like their source of authority comes from something other than their constituents, it probably needs to leave office, right? They have no business in public office because they're not public servants if they don't care about what the citizens think and want. If, they're, if they think their job is to propagandize citizens into accepting something that is untrustworthy fundamentally, then they're in the wrong business. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to learn the details of this and and to understand how things work and how to actually make change, how to file a lawsuit, how to push back, how to ask for a recount. It was very, very complicated to learn the process and what to look for and how it should be done correctly. You had to be very intentional about it. And it's exhausting. But hey, we're in the fight for our lives here in our country for um, our founding principles and for America's future. And and I think it's um it's a very important discussion that we have got to have, regardless of if the press freaks out or the establishment freaks out, if we talk about it, we've got to talk about it. And hopefully um, we can start doing that um, and have the courage to ignore the naysayers who say we have the gold standard. There's, you know, you're a, a conspiracy theorist if you think there's something wrong that's not okay. And they have total power in Colorado right now. So if you have total power, then you have the power to provide transparency and restore trust to the people who don't you know, feel comfortable with the way things are being handled right now. But like back to our discussion about what we can do, what we can do is talk to our local officials and get involved as an election watcher, a, a election judge, a poll watcher, um, join the canvassing board, run for county commissioner, run for county clerk, get a job in the clerk's office, whatever it is you can do to get engaged and um, empower yourself. Um, 
Sean, I don't want to take too much more of your time, but are there any other directives or websites or places people can go if they want to get more active and learn more about how they can um, ask or demand for transparency? Yeah, the so the information is exploding uh, online, right? There are so many groups. There are grassroots groups all across the country, every single state doing just amazing work. You can look, uh, if you're not connected to a grassroots group in your state and you want to be, which you should want to be, if, if, they, if you've got something more important to do than this, I don't know what it is because it all, this is the root of all the issues that we're seeing, right? If we, if we don't have election integrity, then there's no accountability for the public officials. And when there's no accountability, they just start thumbing their nose, right? And doing just whatever they want, regardless, right? Like we're- Which is we're, happening. We're gonna, <laughs> exactly. It's exactly what's happening. So you can go to causeofamerica.org and, and we will connect you with, with grassroots in your state if you don't know who they are. Sean, is it um, Cause of America? Yeah, it's directly from the Thomas Paine quote, you know, okay. the cause of America is in some sense the cause of all mankind. And it is. Causeofamerica.org. So, yeah. That's right. And we'll, we'll connect you with grassroots wherever you are. And you can, you can be involved, you know, directly with the grassroots. Sometimes people have an idea and then it gets, and this is part of what we do is spread it across other states. So somebody develops a technique and they're not all effective in different places, you know, but, but the main thing is that citizens have to be involved. They have to be involved with their public officials, with their legislatures, that the public officials need to know that they're being held accountable, that the citizens have demands, that the citizens are going to engage, and that they're just not going to stop. I mean, if they think we're going to stop, they're sadly mistaken. You know, we work while they sleep, and that's going to continue until we restore election integrity. Well, thank you, Sean. Thanks so much for all the work you're doing and your passion for your mission to make sure that we have um, fair and free elections. And I just appreciate what you do and appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for spreading it. Welcome, everyone. I am so honored to have Ned Jones with us today. He is the deputy director of the Election Integrity Network. Ned, um, I listened to you on Randy Corcoran last week. You did an amazing job of filling us in on what's happening in Colorado. So I'm giving a nod to Randy for uh, his great content, but also so excited to have you on today to talk about this very important issue. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me today, Heidi. Um, just a little bit about what, what our uh, Election Integrity Network is all about. We were started in 2021 by Cleta Mitchell, who was one of President Trump's uh, lawyers in 2020 at the Conservative Partnership Institute and spent 2021 working on the election in Virginia, the statewide election that we had right after the 2020 election, and then joined uh, the Election Integrity Network in 2022, last year and uh, have been the deputy director with them since. We're now a project of the Virginia Institute for Public Policy as we were moved over as of February 1st of this year. Oh, that's great. And uh, boy, did they do a good job of getting uh, Glenn Youngkin across the finish line in 2021. So you were a big part of that. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because we learned a lot of lessons in 2020 and we had to put them into play right away. And we knew that we needed observation. That was the key to what we had to do initially and find out what was going on in the election process in Virginia. So we got started right away. You know, it's interesting because um, I have to use the, the, the word conservative because we're a nonpartisan organization, but conservatives have done a great job of supporting candidates. You know, we've knocked on doors, we've made calls, we've helped them with our resources, but we've left the process of running elections up to others. 
And we sure found out in 2020 what those others could do by controlling the process. So we knew in Virginia, we had to get a handle on what was happening with the process and get our observers and uh, we call them election workers involved in the election. We have 133 jurisdictions and we tried to cover as many as we could. We have 45 days of voting, so it was a challenge. What did that look like tactically on the ground as someone who ran a governor's race? Like, what did you have your team or or their team doing? Well, what we did is we have local election integrity task forces. And ideally, we'll have one of those at every jurisdiction. There's 133 in Virginia, 133 jurisdictions. And we don't have them all covered. But what the local election task force does is they create a relationship with the election officials. They find out what's going on. And then from there, we find the process for uh, hiring election workers, which is done by those election officials. And then observers were recruited by the grassroots, by the party, by the campaigns. They were extremely well trained. The RNC came in uh, towards the end near our (laughs) election season start, put in a hotline, put in a war room, uh, helped out with the recruiting and training of poll observers and created this really an army to monitor the election. And we believe mitigated some of the irregularities and uh, anomalies that we saw in 2020 in Virginia. So what would happen when an election watcher would call the hotline and say, hey, I'm seeing something odd here? Oh, that was me. (laughs) I was a (laughs) poll watcher. And uh, what happened was in Virginia, when a, a a voter comes in to vote, they say their name and address and the poll worker has to repeat it back confirming that that's who they are and that's what it says on the poll book. And they weren't doing that. They were just taking the voter's license, scanning it, and handing them the ballot. So I reported that immediately on the hotline. Next thing I knew, the election official was coming out because this is early voting and I was in the election office with one of our vote centers. He talked to the chief And they started doing it right away. So within an hour, that issue had been resolved because it went to the hotline. It went to the war room. They contacted the registrar or, you know, election official. And he showed up talking to his people to uh, get them to uh, fix, you know, what they were doing wrong. It was incredible. And I think that happened all over the state Um, on Election Day. Now we're talking Election Day. They tried to say you couldn't vote unless you had a mask on, which is illegal in Virginia. And word spread through the network. A memo came down from our election department and it was stopped immediately. So, um, you know, it really worked and it, it had a huge impact, I think, on the mechanics of the election. We had a great candidate and uh, McAuliffe made some huge mistakes, his opponent. But we think the system was improved to the point where we mitigated some of the irregularities. So, Ned, the million dollar question is, why are we doing this in every other election? Why didn't we do this in Colorado in 2022? The RNC, the GOP did not have anything like that set up here. Well, I think that's a real problem. And I think that we run into that in many states. And so that's why the Election Integrity Network, the grassroots are so important. Now, we've put on eight summits uh, last year for election integrity in eight uh, target states. And during the year 2022, we ran into some folks in Colorado, and they now have set up one of our Election Integrity Network coalitions in Colorado. So you have now a growing grassroots effort, which is modeled after what happened in Virginia uh, for future elections. They're getting involved with local election officials. 
They're having a weekly or every other week meeting where they discuss issues, come up with strategies, and getting involved in legislation this year. So you're going to have a grassroots structure like was set up in Virginia. And then as far as the RNC goes, we're we're told um, that they're committed to election integrity. We think it's a nonpartisan issue and they should be uh, committed to it as the other parties as well. And that's what we hear. Now, we'll see what happens. Um, obviously, they're concentrating on certain states. We think Colorado is much like Virginia, where the election laws are working against having a fair and secure and honest election. And so those changes have to come when we change the people who make the laws. And we think the grassroots is going to have a lot to do with that. I couldn't agree more. And I really believe uh, the people of Colorado, the grassroots are going to um, get a lot more engaged, involved and organized. And I hope I can be a part of helping that happen. Um, in Colorado, you referenced some of the laws like ballot harvesting is legal here. Our voter rolls were uh, in trouble, which was evidenced by the Judicial Watch lawsuit that they just settled um, to clean them up. We mail ballots to everyone. We have a month-long election. Um, the Secretary of State here has tremendous control over the county clerks in Colorado. Um, what, what on earth do we do if we can't win elections to get into office? And how do we address this as citizens who care deeply about our vote? Well, you know, voter rolls is the key. Um, it's a national disgrace. There are millions of voters on the voter rolls who have not been removed. And that's either um, uh, local uh, uh, clerks, as you call them, not doing their job or or not intending to do their job. And, and we don't know why. However, part of the problem in Colorado, as I see it, is that you're involved with Eric. You have uh, automatic voter registration. That means everybody who comes of age is registered to vote. Therefore, everybody gets a ballot because you have universal mail-in ballots. Now, there was a Carter-Baker commission, I believe it was in 2004, 2005, and they were to study elections around the country. And Jimmy Carter said that the easiest way to commit voter fraud is vote by mail. And so we all know the problem. The problem is because of COVID, we expanded vote by mail uh, across the country, just like you've had in Colorado. Now, in order for that to be safe and secure, you must have clean voter rolls. Because what's happening is ballots are going to addresses where the voter no longer lives. They either died, they moved, they got married. You have to clean up the voter rolls if you have a universal mail system. Now, compounding the problem in Colorado, you're a member of ERIC, the Electronic Registration, I'm going to get this, Information Center. I should know. I hope I got it right. ERIC. And what ERIC does, ERIC should do, they were set up in, I believe, 2012 to help clean up the voter rolls. And their main goal was to catch people who had moved and now they're registered in two states to let the two states know and then confirm where the voter wants to be registered. However, here's what happened with Eric. It became a massive voter registration operation. Part of the agreement says that member states like Colorado have to send Eric a list, I believe it's every 60 days, of eligible but unregistered voters which is driven by the Department of Motor Vehicles. We call them EBUs, eligible but unregistered. That list goes to ERIC. Now, ERIC shares their information with an organization called the Center 
for Election Innovation and Research, coincidentally started by a gentleman named David Becker, who also started Eric. Uh, Pam Anderson, your former Jefferson County clerk, is on the board at CEIR. Now, CEIR receives this information from uh, Eric, does something with it, goes back to Eric, and then Eric sends it back to the states. Now, remember, these are EBUs. The state is then required to contact 95% of them with a card instructing them how to vote. Now, you may recall last year, your Secretary of State, by, quote, mistake, sent out 30,000 of these cards to non-citizens. Well, that's part of the ERIC structure. It's part of the list from DMV. You must allow non-citizens to get some kind of a license or get on the list somehow. And so they all received a card how to vote. Now, of course, the Secretary of State said, oops, but that was discovered by the grassroots, I believe. It could have been a, a legislator, but immediately it went to um, uh, a organization we're uh, with called PILF, Public Information Legal Foundation, and they file, filed a request to the Secretary of State about what actually happened. And again, the explanation was it was a mistake. So because of the fact that you register everybody, because of the fact that you're involved with Eric, and because of the fact that everybody gets a ballot, you must clean up your voter rolls in order to have a safe and secure election. Now, the settlement with Judicial Watch is going to go a long way to accomplish that goal. But I believe that's what has to be done out there from what I've seen. So one of the things I heard you talk about was that there are grants being uh, distributed through the organization that Pam Anderson is involved with. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, it's the Center for Tech and Civic Life. Now, you may recall that in 2020, Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan, made a charitable donation of it ended up $330 million to the Center for Tech and Civic Life, a very small left wing nonprofit organization in Chicago. And what they did is they distributed that money to 2,500 election offices around the country. 90% of the money went to jurisdictions that Biden won. 10% went to jurisdictions that Trump won. It was heavily loaded towards Democrat areas. And so Mark and Priscilla put their thumb on the scale by making a charitable donation to a nonprofit. Think about it. It's just like you're giving a donation to a church because they have the same tax status. Mm -hmm. Now, they're allowed to do voter registration and education through their uh, tax status with the IRS, but they're not allowed to put their thumb on the scale as they did with the Zuckerbuck grants, as we call them in 2020. Well, along comes 2022. In 2022, Mark Zuckerberg said he was not going to uh, make a donation again to um, CTCL or anyone for the 2022 midterms. But right after his announcement, CTCL announced that they were starting the U.S. Alliance for Election Excellence. And this was going to be funded by a new stream of funding called the Audacity Project. And the main backers behind that one is uh, Bill Gates, and I guess it's his former wife now, but Bill Gates and other um, uh high-tech donors. And what the Alliance wanted to do, it took um, informed eight partners with CTCL, 
By the way, Pam Anderson is also on the board at CTCL. This is the organization that distributed the Zuckbucks and is now forming the Alliance for Election Excellence. Is there she are, still on that board of the of the new organization? Yes, on Center for Tech and Civic Life. And so they have eight partners, I believe it's eight, all left-wing. No, one's a for-profit consulting firm, the rest are nonprofits. And what they're doing is their goal is to form an alliance of 6,000. Now remember, Zuckbox was 2,500. They want to form an alliance of 6,000 election officers around the country. In some cases, they're going to give them monetary grants unless the state has banned them, and they're going to encourage all of them to join the alliance. Now, 24 states have banned the grants. In six other states, legislature banned them, but the governors vetoed them. So where it's allowed, they're going to give uh, grants. Where it's not allowed, they're going to offer the membership. We believe the membership is the worst part of the alliance because what happens is the election official now joins the uh, alliance by paying a membership fee. They used to have a scholarship to, to cover it, but we think they may have gotten rid of that. And then with the membership fee, they get credits with these other left-wing nonprofits for services. Those services are you know, designing websites, election administration, uh, different forms that they can use, et cetera, et cetera. Getting involved in the administration of the elections with the left-wing agenda. Now, the reason I know that is in Connecticut, Greenwich, Connecticut, which is a deep blue state, they were offered $500,000 by the alliance and to join the membership. Well, there was pushback from the grassroots, and a lot of people are fed up with this and don't want billionaires from any party influencing our elections. If, if the election people need funds, it should come from the taxpayers. Our taxpayers should pay for our elections. Anyway, in Greenwich, the registrars, as they call them, your clerks, were getting pushback. So what they did, they set up a Zoom call and invited folks to tell us about how great the alliance was. They got an election official from Utah. They got one from uh, Michigan, all of whom had received grants. And, uh, and oh, I'm sorry, Illinois, and joined the alliance. And then Pam Anderson formerly from, I believe it's Jefferson County, where she was the clerk, Colorado, was going to tell us about how wonderful the Center for Tech and Civic Life is and the work that they do. Now, here's, their, here's what they do. In the early part of the year, they offer free training to election officials all over the country. And that's how they create a relationship with whatever you want to call them, clerks, registrars, local election officials. And then they communicate with them this year and last about this new alliance. And so what Pam Anderson told us, and she really told us exactly what they're up to, they're not involved in politics at all. They, they could care less about politics. They're involved in process. And by that, she means vote by mail, early voting, drop boxes. Um, they've said in their literature that they'll help out with ranked choice voting. So there's a whole left-wing agenda that they're presenting through the alliance. And incredibly, she talked about it as she presented the case for the alliance. Um, and so she's on two boards that are very important in the left-wing nonprofit world. The Center for Tech and Civic Life, from Zuckbucks in 2020 to the alliance that started in 2022, and then the Center for Election Innovation and Research, 
which is the organization that shares information with ERIC or the Electronic Registration Information Center. Um, and that's what I know about her involvement now. Supposedly, these organizations are nonprofit, but if you look at their funding, which goes back to this massive left-wing um, charitable donation operation with the likes of Soros and Zuckerberg and Pierre Omidyar, the gentleman who started um, eBay and runs an organization called Democracy Fund, you see the same stream of financing. And then you look at the boards and it's all the same people with the same agenda on all the boards. And one of the things we do at the Election Integrity Network is we have the Citizens Research Project, which I've managed now since last year. And we're tracking all of these nonprofits and finding out as much as we can about their involvement in local election offices. And so we're learning more now about Colorado because we do have a, a strong coalition building there um, in doing that kind of work. So what I'm hearing you say is it would be important for us to try and get us out of the ERIC agreement here in Colorado and also pay close attention to who's funding these efforts to change the way our process works in our elections, which we're pretty far down that road in Colorado. Um, one of the ideas that I've been hearing um, in the Colorado community or the conservative movement, at least, is to put forward a ballot initiative to change some of this because the legislature obviously won't. But I think Eric could be should be a big part of that. Um, and also, um, you know, the voter rolls and making sure that those are clean. You know, there's a lot of talk about um, the machines and Dominion's headquartered here and all that rigmarole. But what I've been telling people lately is they don't even need that. They have it so down. They have the system so down with ballot harvesting, the voter rolls, the long election time, like all of the stuff we've been talking about that let's just focus on the things that we know are happening and the things that um, we know they're manipulating as much as they can, even if it's legal. Is that your approach or what do you- Yeah, it, that, that's so right. I think there's a reason why seven states have now left Eric. Now the media is gonna tell you they're wrong. They should stay, it's a great thing, but it isn't. They know the truth, they know what's really happening there. And so seven states have left already, more are thinking about it. And I believe more will leave and more should leave because we now know how it's working and it's not working the way it was designed. If if Eric had worked, our voter rolls would be clean now. They wouldn't be bloated with these rotors. Think about the system in Colorado. Think about ballot harvesting and all the ballots that are sent to an address where the voter is no longer there. We call those undeliverables. Now, according to most state law, those have to be returned to the election office. But there are so many vulnerabilities in the postal system. We have another working group. Actually, we're meeting at four o'clock this afternoon Eastern, and we're looking at the U.S. Postal Service. Because think about it. It's the largest precinct in our election system. And there's no oversight. There are no observers. There is no citizen watching what's happening in the largest precinct in our election. We need to get more oversight over exactly how election mail is handled by the Postal Service. Um, but, but again, once we clean up the voter rolls, all those vulnerabilities go away because then we don't have these undeliverables, which are ballots going to, think about it. In our state, you can register students on college campuses with their campus address. I don't know if that's allowed in Colorado or not, but when that student leaves and they're not removed from the list, 
the ballot keeps showing up in that dorm. And it's either returned to the election office or it's left there. And you know what can happen with ballot harvesters. So there's so many irregularities. But I again, I go back to this whole vote by mail. Um, it used to be absentee ballot. <laughs> if you had an excuse, you couldn't be there on election day. You applied for a ballot and you voted absentee. And then you had a few early voting days, but everybody voted on election day. That way, you're not dealing with these. I mean, we have 45 days of voting. Um, and you just can imagine what might happen during those 45. Also, we don't have any ID. So without an ID, any I could be anybody. And uh, there's no ID to vote. So those are those are what the legislatures have done around the country. And we have to unwind all of that to get back to fair, secure and honest elections. Well, and their argument tends to be that we've got to make it so easy to vote and hard to cheat, but so easy to vote. And voting by mail is allowing so many people to vote that wouldn't normally. What's your argument to that? Well, it's a simple argument. There's no way to know who cast that ballot. There's no way to know. You can say signature match. We know what happens there. There's a company called Runback, and they run this signature match operation. Um, then we have the individuals who are working the polls, checking signatures. They're not experts. Um, we think if you're going to have vote by mail, you should have to put a copy of your photo ID in with the ballot. I mean, you can still cheat and do that, but at least it's something. Because right now, I could send your ballot in and there's no way to check it. So we think that the the only argument against the convenience is in order to have a fair and secure election and to know who the voter is, you have to get rid of or or change vote by mail to what we used to call absentee with an excuse voting. Ned, what does it look like if someone was going to do something nefarious with dirty voter rolls and ballot harvesting being legal? How would they actually work the system to leverage that, that process? Well, now we're getting into theories. And yeah. uh, I have a lot of theories. Um, <laughs> I don't like the theories because it's so hard to prove. And if we had the proof, you know, there would be action taken because it's illegal. Um, but there's a lot of things that happen in the election cycle that are, are uh, curious to me, I'll say. For instance, there's an organization called the Center for Voter Information. They have a partner organization called the Voter Participation Center. And they do two mailings every year. Early in the year, they send out partially filled out voter registration forms to EBUs. We mentioned them earlier, eligible but unregistered. And their targets are the, quote, new majority. Minorities, single women, young people, and they've added the LB, LGBT, whatever, community. So they're targeting the registration to certain voters, their voters. However, remember, these are nonpartisan nonprofits, just like your church. Later in the year, and they don't do it in Colorado because the Secretary of State does it for them, they send out applications partially filled out for absentee ballots. Now, their arrangement with the post office is they don't get any of their mailings back. When something can't be delivered, they get a list, a daily list of undeliverables. And the reason why they can't be delivered so what they end up with is a list of voters who are not at their address. They've either moved, died, gotten married, or whatever. And 
there's also the earlier list of eligible citizens, hopefully to vote, who are not at their address. And you can imagine what might happen with those two lists. Not any proof, but it's a it's a vulnerability in the system. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, you know the easy way to request a ballot. And I mean, it's simple. We, here you can do it online. You can go into the office. There's many different ways to get a vote by mail ballot. And then we know how valuable that blank ballot is. Couple of things. The Postal Service has a barcode now that says there's a ballot in the envelope. So anyone with a scanner who scans that barcode knows it's a ballot, either a blank on the way to the voter or a completed one on the way back. And we're not accusing anyone of anything, but, you know, there's a temptation there. Um, There's a temptation there. The other thing is undeliverables. Um, when a uh, letter carrier shows up at an address and they have a ballot and there's n- the voter's not there, you know, what, what are the possibilities to happen with that ballot? You know, it could be diverted. And I use the word could because, again, there is no proof. What we're talking about is vulnerabilities. And without the proper oversight and uh, scrutiny by observers, you know, you just don't know. And so people are insecure. Then you have the lack of transparency by election officials. You know, we try to get information and they make us do a FOIA. We do the FOIA and then they complain because they're getting so many, you know, you may call them open records requests in Colorado, but, you know, you have to go through the formal written process. And then they complain that there's so many of those. They're overworked. Well, if you would be transparent, put your voter rolls online. In Virginia, we have to pay $12,000 every time we want to get a list of voters. Now, in some states, it's free. I don't know how they do it in Colorado, but it should be online. It should be, you know, no social and no date of birth, but at least the voter rolls. Hmm. Um, The election officials should be more transparent because what the lack of transparency does, it creates, you know, more doubt about our election system. We don't know why they're not transparent. You know, there's nothing to hide. That's been a big issue in Colorado. And um, we, uh, we tried to do a recount in a small district here in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, in Douglas County, which is a red county, and did everything. Um, the the candidate who requested the recount um, did everything they were supposed to do. Had an attorney helping them, and wanted the testing, the logic and accuracy testing done in a ra- like picking a couple random scanners, comparing it to the random. Uh, batches of ballots. And the Secretary of State gave the Republican clerk here in Douglas County a letter to stop it and said, there's no need to do this. The testing's already been done. And the the canvassing board members, two of which were Republican, um, asked for this as well. But the clerk voted with the Democrats against it or wouldn't allow. They didn't vote, actually, but they didn't have the votes to get through that. I learned the importance of canvassing board members and that they actually are supposed to handle the recounts, which Jenna Griswold did not allow and neither did our Republican clerk. And also um, to your question, why not provide transparency? It would have provided so much more confidence if we had gone through the process and felt better about the results, but didn't happen. You know, and I know you do this in Colorado, they hang their hat on something called a risk limiting audit. Now the word audit should not even be in that title because it is not an audit. What it is, it's a random sampling of a few ballots depending on the margin of victory. We had a risk limiting audit in Virginia for the presidential election in 2020. Out of 4 million votes, they counted 1,200. To me, that's not even a sample. They wrote a 40-page report about 
how great the election was. They're doing the same thing in Colorado, I'm sure. Now, the risk-limiting audit was something created by academics. It's supported by the left-wing funding stream. If you look at an organization called, Ver I have to read the name, Verified Voting, they're the ones who are really pushing risk-limiting audits. And all their funding comes from the same left-wing funding that I talked about earlier with the Center for Tech and Civic Life and the others. The program that's used is called Arlo. And Arlo comes from an organization, and I want to get the name right, called Voting Works. Now, their funding comes from George Soros's Open, Open Society Foundation, the Ford Foundation. Again, the same funding stream is behind these risk-limiting audits. And so it's not really an audit. It's something that the election officials hang their hats on and say, look at the great election that we had. You know, we have some great county clerks in Colorado that I believe do do the right things and care deeply about this, but they just don't seem to be able to push back against our secretary of state or the system. And there's a lot of clerks that are Republicans who defend the system ferociously. Um, how does that play into this? Like the politics of who the secretary of state is and handling the registrars and the county clerks have you seen? Well, there was a reason why George Soros had the secretary of state project where he backed many, many Secretary of States who ended up getting elected, he knew they control the election process in so many states. Now, not in Virginia. We have a commissioner of elections who acts much like the Secretary of State in terms of elections. But the Secretaries of State in some states have extremely powerful positions. Michigan is another one. Um, and so... There's no way to change that until you change the Secretary of State. Again, think about the six cities that I talk about. Atlanta, Georgia's Secretary of State uh, is not in with the grassroots, I'll tell you that right now. Philadelphia, same thing. Pennsylvania, the Secretary of State is appointed by the Democrat governor. Detroit, Michigan, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, you can throw Minnesota in there too, Simon, the Secretary of State, same situation. Then you go to Las Vegas, uh, Nevada, the other city they have to win, and then Phoenix. So if you think about those six cities to control the presidential election, think about the secretaries of state that were elected in those same states, and it's the same thing. So again, the grassroots has to expose what's going on. Exposure is our biggest tool because so many people need to be I'll call it educated about what's really going on. We ignored the process of our elections. And others got involved in the process of our elections. And that's what we have to fix. Conservatives have to get involved in the process of our elections. When we do that, the right people will get elected, people that will change the process, and our elections will become secure, honest, and transparent. Now, they did change some of the rules and laws in Florida, and the election results were quite different after they did that. Um, do you see that as a, a kind of a, a, a way to do that in other states? Or what state is a good model right now to follow? Well, I think Florida is good, and I think Georgia's legislature is trying. And I think, you know, I think we they just passed a ban bucks, ban third-party grants uh, expanded law, and I think that's going to get signed by the governor which will help really help there. Florida has the ban, it's a real strong ban. They also put in a uh, division in their Secretary of State's office to go after 
uh, election crimes. And that's really what states need to do, because in so many cases, election crimes are let go. You know, they're exposed, but nothing is ever done. Um, at one of our summits last year, we had a sheriff from Wisconsin, and he had lock solid cases of voter problems um, in several of their jurisdictions. He took them to the DAs and nothing happened. Um, there seems to be a hesitancy to bring voter, I call them irregularity, cases uh, to court. Florida's doing it now. There's several pending in Florida right now. But they still have, you know, massive vote by mail. They still have problems, but they're headed in the right direction. And this is what the other states have to do. Um, Virginia needs a lot of work. We, the conservatives only have half the legislature, so everything gets killed in the Senate. But we're headed in the right direction, and other states have to do the same thing. But I think the big thing, the really big thing, and, and when you look at polling, a high, high percentage of our electorate don't trust the, they still don't trust the system, and rightly so. Um, transparency would go a long way, but I think educating people about how it really works is so important. And so many politicians stay away from it. Run into resistance to what what which what the grassroots thinks should be happening by many many politicians. It's very frustrating. We just went through a legislative season, and very frustrating what actually happened. And you know, a lot of it was uh, conservative legislators. Actually, what didn't happen. Yeah, that's so true. And and luckily in Colorado, we have a way to put forward um, ballot or uh, initiatives to go straight to the people. And I think that's what we're going to have to do here. Um, one of the frustrating things about that request for that hand recount in Douglas County was that after we were told nothing to see here, we're not doing what you want us to do. We requested it through a Freedom of Information Act to see the paper ballots and the images from the machines, and we were told it would be $212,000 for the staff time to allow us to do that. Well, we didn't have that kind of money to follow through on it. Um, but the county commissioners, who are also conservative, the three county commissioners hired the county attorney. The county attorney shut it down, and the canvassing board members requested an outside counsel to um, help them push back on this, and they were rejected on that request. So it's our own party sometimes that's causing a lot of this frustration and doesn't have the spine to stand up and push back on this stuff. Yeah, you know, that's that's not just there. That's, that's a problem that we run into. And, uh, you know, you'd think it would be different, but uh, <laughs> it isn't. And that's, that's in other states as well. Um, it's, it's, in other, and I think one of the one of the things we talk about all the time is that, you know, we have to change either the mindset of some of our um, elected officials or replace them mm -hmm. um, with like-minded people that understand there are problems with our elections. Um, it just got too loose. You know, there aren't enough safeguards. And, uh, you know, you talk about the machines and I tell people that, yeah, there's problems with the machines. We should learn as much as we can about them. But we're not going to change the machines until we find people that want to change the machines. The people that make the decisions about the machines are still there. And that's a huge investment to go from the machines to either non-machines or new machines. And you talk about requests for information. One of, one of the new strategies, I think, because I'm hearing it all over the country, is they're going to charge exorbitant fees for the information now. And so what we're telling people is, just limit it. Go for a small chunk and go many times because, you know, that's that's a new strategy to stop the requests 
for uh, information. I think that's just wrong. I think it creates more doubt. Um, the lack of transparency is a huge problem. I agree. I agree. And it, it just especially in this time and age with so much um, disinformation traveling around, it's like, why not just be transparent? If you really truly believe we have the gold standard in Colorado, then you should be willing to open everything up, show the people right. how it works. And if we do have questions, follow up, and we'll feel a lot better about our elections. But you know, you're so right. And that's what they should have done with 2020. With 2020, right or wrong, millions of people had doubts about the election. Well, they should have had a complete, transparent examination of the 2020 election. And they didn't. They did the opposite. They called us all kinds of names. They said that, you know, deniers, the big lie, it was a perfect election on and on. Well, if it was a perfect election, why did they put up cardboard in the windows in Detroit? Why did they count ballots for three or four weeks in Philadelphia and in Georgia? So we know there were irregularities in 2020. Why weren't they open and transparent with a complete analysis of what happened? But they didn't. They went the other way, and that just created more problems. So, Well, Ned, thank you so much for taking the time to explain a lot of this to us. It, it's incredibly helpful, and you're doing great work. Keep it up. Thank you so much for having me, Heidi. Hi, everyone. I wanted to wrap up by giving some suggestions on go forward tactics, things we can do that I've learned from the guests and learned from my research during the election and since the election. Since we don't hold statewide offices in Colorado and we certainly don't control the Secretary of State here, we need to take our action to local officials. That means county commissioners, county clerks, their staff, um, canvassing board members, county attorneys, county um, sheriffs and do the work locally. We also need to build a coalition of county staff across the state to drive best practices and build a team of election attorneys that will help us hold officials accountable. And when needed, use CORA or use legal action to make sure they're doing the right things. We also need to build an army of election judges and poll watchers. We did a pretty good job of that in 2022. We need to keep the momentum going and keep that team alive and well and getting educated on what to actually do if they see things in the next election. You heard Ned talk about how effective that was in Virginia. We also need to track nonprofits that are providing grants and supports to election offices and make sure we know where the actual money is coming from and who's involved. Uh, thus, the conversation about Pam Anderson and the boards that she's on and the uh, funny business that they've been up to with Zuckerberg's money. I believe as far as changing things in our election system, we should fight to stop ballot harvesting in Colorado. If we can't stop it, we need to learn how to do it better in Colorado like the Democrats do. But I don't think it's right for our election system. I don't think it instills confidence. We also need to make sure our voter rolls are clean, which Judicial Watch did a good job of starting that process. But as you heard Sean say, there's a lot of work to be done there on process and making sure that going forward, they stay clean. We also need to get out of ERIC, that system where they send the data out and get it back in. It does not do us any good. It doesn't serve uh, for election fairness and free elections. So let's get out of ERIC. We need to make it illegal to um, do what Zuckerberg did, put Zuckbucks and um, some of these grants into our election officials' hands. That just asks for trouble. 
We need to cancel automatic registration and make sure that only voters who are active and engaged and have the rights to vote are getting contacted to turn in a ballot and actually have access to ballots. We need to um, push for effective signature verification. It doesn't sound like that's happening from the folks that I'm talking to on the field. We need the ability to um, hold officials accountable by asking for audits or asking for access to information through Cora when we um, feel like there might be something off in the elections. That didn't happen in Douglas County. We need to make sure it does happen when um, candidates or citizens want to see um, or inspect various parts of the election process. I'd like to see Colorado create an election commission and take some of the power away from the Secretary of State, make sure it's bipartisan or nonpartisan, and uh, see what we can do there. I'd like to see us shorten the voting time frame. It's an awfully long month where there's the ability to play with money and voter turnout and registration. I don't think it's being used in the right way, so I think we can shorten that time frame and even consider making Election Day a holiday. And finally, let's enforce photo ID in the voting process and make sure that who's voting and turning in ballots are the actual people who are voting. That's it. That's what um, I wanted to wrap up with. I so appreciate your time and look forward to our next episode and our next time together.